Leather poisoning. Clayton Oliver nabs a light 204 ranking point in an incredible display from his demons. Rookie error. The Sydney Swans youngster under the pump for splitting open Isaac Quainer's shin. And during what has been a tough period over there, Michael Barlow joins today's show from Victoria to chat his 33 possession, two goal debut as a mature age recruit, horrifically breaking his leg after an awkward collision with a previous guest of ours in Reese Palmer, winning multiple Ross Glendening medals in derbies, being Nat Fife's Brownlow date, time at the Gold Coast, appearing on Dylan Friends, heading back to Werribee, and to answer your voice messages. But first, let's get to the Centre Square Player of the Year votes from Round 10 on popular segment in Strife. The winner of the 2019 Brownlow Medal, Nathan Park of the Fremantle Football Club. She from the mountain needs to be in perfect years. He's got the most impossible goal. From inside the centre square, boys kick the goal. Boys kick the goal. Yes, hello everyone and welcome to the Centre Square Podcast once more on 91.3 Sport FM Radio, your football headquarters. Ethan Roth is my name and also in the studio is Bray Loveridge. I must say we are both thrilled for this one with who we've got joining us. We do have some brand new voice messages, but Bray, how have you been since the vlog on Saturday? Yeah, great, Ethan. Um, left early in that video. Um, didn't actually didn't actually say anything about me going, but uh, yeah, I left and... Uh, back here today to speak to a legend yeah so you know it took over from you and i think you did a, a pretty good job but it was a, yeah, good a, cameraman. A, a surprise from you departing we know the reason for that one or certainly yeah. i do but if you haven't already checked that one out on igtv facebook or youtube under the on the center square it goes for about nine minutes and there may or may not have been a mark behind the goals even if it was a, <laughs> a safe as a chess mark yeah hang on, hang on last night i was watching uh kate mcdonald and Cuckoo's, what, five games five, for five yep. days. There was an exact same uh, statement from Kados in that video that is in the video that we filmed. Really? I'm going to put a knee in the back of someone's head here. Really? And that is exactly what you did on uh, Saturday. Great minds think alike, don't oh, they? Oh, listen to him. Yeah. So, enough rambling on. Uh, and also, with the videos, if you want them shorter, uh, tell us, or if they're perfect, don't tell us, but... I reckon what we're doing right right, right now, five to ten minutes is fine. Uh, But you you listeners, viewers out there, uh, give us some feedback. And we want... I don't want to be the main person in front talking to the players. As good as as it is, we're a group, so hopefully the other boys can get on board and and speak to some players. Yeah, I know. Well, Cow obviously plays Colts for Peel Thunder, so we'll give him a bit of lenient leniency. Uh, Luca, well... He's just not been on form. And Noah, yeah, Noah, Noah yes. made a turnout, which was good. But anyway, we'll move on. Enough rounding on. Bray, straight over to you. Santa Square Player of the Year from round 10, please. Yeah, well, we'll start with three votes or one vote? We'll go the 3 2 one. All right, well, this man, uh, I didn't actually see most of the game, but when I got home, he was a standout player when I chucked it on the TV. Clayton Oliver. 204 ranking points against the Crows, 34 disposals, a goal, 11 clearances. That was an elite performance from him. He was pretty outstanding. Yeah, he's always been a ball magnet, but I suppose it's just the way he's used the footy and, you know, um, he doesn't get 
34 like disposals like that often you know he's high 20s or, or low 30s but that was really good and I think um that midfield is just so good for the for the D's right now it's probably their yeah. main strength yeah and this is from round 10 by the way so yeah we are, are one we? behind yeah obviously because of the footy festival mania we'll probably double up next week after uh, all this footy frenzy is over as this is last week uh, but two votes Dan Butler uh, who did St Kilda play they versed the Gold Coast Suns. That's right. It was. Uh, Are you sure? Was that round ten or yeah, was that ten or eleven? It's weird. Right, well, yeah. Anyway, uh, and what was the momentum swinging game? He kicked four goals and pretty much sparked uh, for the Saints. He played real, played real well. He was yeah. a. I think it was Bruce McAvaney who was commentating. He was loving it. Yeah. So uh, yeah, he was a big outstanding. And one vote uh, for Tom Rockliffe. Twenty-three disposals. And if you're wondering why he's getting a vote. Is because of his fifteen tackles, yeah. which isn't really seen, mm. I guess, in stats or whatever, or in the game. But he had a pretty big impact. Yeah, so unlucky to miss. Yep, uh, our man Taylor Adams, who Cow loves, <laughs> uh, favorite player at Collingwood. Uh, Jared Lyons, Jack Revolt, Liam Baker, Cam Guthrie, Graham Myers, Jack Steele, Zach Merritt, and Tim Taranto. Mm. So it wasn't a lot of unlucky to miss, but um, I suppose you know. Everyone sees the game differently. I've got in strife today. Yeah, you do. Yeah. It was hard to find many. I did have to search real hard. Uh, I've gone with Sydney youngster Sam Wicks for wearing illegal boots with metal, and it cut open Isaac Quainer's shin, which was gruesome, if you've seen the graphic image. There was no penalty apart from a warning to Sydney, and I think Wicks got off lightly. So um, were they actually illegal? Were they deemed illegal? They, yeah, they were. Because so, uh, I was watching... Where, this happened on like a... What, a Wednesday night wasn't it or a Thursday night Thursday yeah Thursday night. and then I was watching Friday night footy on Fox with Gary Lyon Nick Revelt Jonathan Brown they were talking about it they had a normal pla- uh, what is it pl- plastic boots whatever studs mm. and then they had ones that had little just metal yeah. uh, caps on them basically and uh, they said it felt exactly the same so and they said they were the boots he was wearing so yeah there are also so. like screw-ins as well yeah. we can like change and take I think Stephen Milne said he used that yeah. a lot when I listened to Dylan Friends. Yeah. Um, Plug. Great podcast, by the way. Had Matt Rowell was on there. Yeah, I listened to it the day. Yeah. That was good. Um, next, Richmond's Nick Lawson and Jaden Short. The two premiership defenders were gro- groping Mabby Mab- Mab- and he looked uncomfortable. It's just <laughs> dumb. Um, those players know better. You know, they've been there in, in the system for a few years now and um, not a, a good look for all involved. Yeah, people have had their uh, yeah. comments on that yeah, and most negative comments mm. no one likes it and third I've gone with is Collingwood Ford line I know they got 62 points last night even though we're not talking about round 11 I know they missed a goey and Stevenson um, well do, uh, they missed a goey but Stevenson and Martrek need to step up as they've scored 40 and 50 points since round 5 which is a stat I saw from Channel 9 I think put it out um, so yeah just they don't really have, a, like, a main Ford, like a key Ford, like a Kennedy, yeah. you know, like a Hawkins, etc. I guess they're so, building Mychek into that. Mm. But, um... Yeah, he's a good player, Mychek. I do like yeah, him. Yeah, he's, he's still so, on the rookie contract yeah, as well, third, so... it's his third year, and yeah. he's um, come in straight away. Yeah. Anything else you want to touch on? Uh, Not really. I think of just the lack of commitment from some of the boys. I know... Yeah. Well, Cow says he's got training, but the recording this is about yeah. two hours before he's training, so yeah. uh, 
pretty dodgy from Cowden. Lack- the other two, they're playing a game uh, this Wednesday, are they? Mm. Lack, it is a le- lack of dedication. Sorry. As uh, Jacob Lansby, who's the Sports Drive presenter <laughs> here at Sport FM, says, he pretty much got it spot on. But we're going to stop there because I guess Mick Barlow's on the other side of this waiting to take our phone call. Here's the Doggers. Barlow, tucked into the pocket. Thinks about the centering kick. He goes, oh, no! out of this world! Michael Barlow joins us as this week's special guest now from Victoria, the 8th pick in the 2010 rookie draft, a multiple Ross Glendening medalist, Bacon Award, Bacon Award winner, AFLPA best first year player in 2010, Fremantle 25 since 95 team, all up 141 games across the Dockers and the Suns. Mix, how are you? Very well, uh, guys. Yeah, well, I'm navigating my way through a six-week lockdown, stage four in Victoria, but um, keeping busy anyway. Yeah, no dramas. It's much appreciated. Before we get into it, tough times over there. How are you keeping safe? Uh, it is. Yeah, no, you're right. It's, it's um, yeah, it's, it's, it's uh, obviously a bit worldwide. The, the virus, the pandemic, um, it hasn't missed anyone, really. And I think the nature of Australia is, yeah, I'm really buoyed by the fact that Western Australia is going so well, South Australia, um, and the other states are essentially... Um, keeping at arm's length because it does give give Victoria, um, you know, a directive to follow and, and a bit of hope. So it's just doing the right thing, um, locking yourself down, uh, staying very fit and healthy. I'd like to think I, I make sure with my girlfriend we go for a run every morning and um, yeah, kind of have some achievable goals and measurable goals in terms of you know your fitness and 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 whatnot um, during the six week period because the, the mental health side of it, I, I think. You know, it's become a real discussion, and from my point of view, that um, release and engagement with exercise is uh, super important. Yeah, definitely. It's good to get out of the house when you can. So take us back to your childhood growing up. Unlike most AFL players, you didn't play in the TAC Cup and instead played for Shepparton United. What was your early life like? Uh, brilliant. Yeah, no, my, my, my upbringing was, was just tremendous. It was um, nothing short of... Uh, yeah, just a just a dream um, opportunity to grow up in a, in a family. I was one of five um, you know, parents that allowed us to, to pursue whatever dream or whatever sport or whatever uh, music musical interest instrument, whatever it was. Um, yeah, you know, they wouldn't wouldn't stop short and giving us an opportunity to do it. So, uh, yeah, we were very active as kids. Played all the sports: cricket, tennis, uh, basketball, netball, whatever was going. We we involved ourselves in, and uh, very lucky to have parents that, that involved themselves. Um, in that in that space as well, you know, mum sort of a country netball champion and um, legend in the area, and dad would just always put his hand up, and if he didn't put his hand up to volunteer, mum would put it up for him. So that was that was the upbringing. Um, went to boarding school, but from year ten to twelve, where I really grew up and I matured. I feel uh, probably more more mentally than physically. I took a while to develop physically, but um, yeah, that that, that was essentially my upbringing and, and you know that move to boarding school um, you know was pivotal and I think that ability to to yeah um, just just grow up and surround yourself with good people and um, and, and made lifelong friends I mean we probably had 20, 20 of those blokes or boys at the time I went to school with um, are still you know very 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 close mates of mine and came over to Perth a lot of them to visit whilst I was playing for the Dockers and um, yeah we'll be will be lifelong friends, as I said. Yeah, it didn't take you long to find your feet in the VFL. You were named in Team of the Year in 2008 and 2009 was just as good 
coming second in the JJ Liston Trophy for Wer- for Werribee. It was certainly a different pathway for you, wasn't it? It was, yeah. So you mentioned um, Werribee, and I'm going full circle. I'm back there at the moment. And yep. I was meant to be playing my second um, second season of a two-year contract this year um, out of the AFL system. So I've lived two lives at Werribee. I came came down from Shepparton. Um, you know, I was already in Melbourne doing a uni degree, but moved my football from, from my hometown of Shepparton to, to Werribee to try and chase the AFL dream. And, um, yeah, that, that was what it was all about my first time around. But again, Wherever you go, you meet lifelong friends, and um, that that was the best part of it. You know, playing with with great guys and had a real country connection. The the Werribee Footy Club, so for for the geography of it, it's about probably 30, 30 kilometres west of west of the city. Um, yeah, so we get a lot of players from Geelong um, and a lot of lot of players from from Shepparton and, and country areas relocating to Melbourne that, that feel comfortable playing with a club like Werribee. So um, brilliant place to play. We went pretty close one year. I think my first year there, we, we made a prelim final. Um, and, yeah, the next year, we didn't go so well, but I probably went a little bit better personally and got the opportunity to, to, to go play um, AFL from there, which was always a bit of a pipe dream. Not um, not in any way achievable from my point of view for a long time until probably that second year. Um, but where we were, yeah, that, that self-belief really rose. You trained with both St Kilda and Essendon in 2009. Did you ever expect to get drafted or did you feel like your age was against you? Because I know when Bray and I were coming to the studio today, we listened to the uh, Time for a Beer podcast with Xavier Ellis and you said that St Kilda said that, um, like, have a good year at where, uh, VFL and, mm. and come back. Yeah, yeah, and that's what I said. I said, so, the, yeah, the time that I looked, I played two years country footy at Shepparton until I was 19. Um, and my second year, I, I got offered a, uh, a training spot at, at St Kilda for the pre-season under uh, a coach I became very familiar with uh, long-term, Ross Lyon. So I went down and did the, the pre-season. I was pretty daunted by it. Um, but at the same time, what an opportunity. One, you're not going to, to knock back. And realistically, I went there thinking, at least I'll be able to tell my kids and grandkids one day that I've, I've trained with an AFL club. And that, that, that was the extent of, of what I thought I was going to get out of it. But... Once I, I got there and cut my teeth with it and, and kept up and you know and improved significantly in that period because I'd never been exposed to, to training like it. Um, yeah, from there it was um, you know a real passion to, to give myself an opportunity to to get on an AFL list. So it was yeah, I went and played the first year at Werribee. They said we'll call you at the end of the year if you have a good year. Had a pretty good year. Ross never called, so I was a bit disappointed in Ross there for a while and. Uh, but all was forgiven, um, you know, long term, and I speak uh, very, very lightheartedly in terms of I was disappointed in them. But it, but it did open my eyes a bit to the, the AFL that, um, yeah, the nature of it is, it's cutthroat, and um, if you don't fit the dynamic of, of a group, or, or if they don't, recruiters can get a bit set in their ways, but, um, yeah, you're not for them at the time, and so be it, but I just kept playing, and my, my big thing was probably finding the ball and that that football IQ, which um, yeah, there was lots of knocks on my speed, my kick, and the way I ran, and, and all of that. But um, you know, the self belief in myself that you know, I could just play the game, um, held me in good stead. Yeah, certainly. Yeah, uh, the Dockers swooped in on you uh, with pick eight in the draft. Uh, were you? Where were you at the time that it was made official? And 
How excited or scared were you to head over to the West? I'm assuming that you... No, excited. Too many I was people. excited, yeah. It was all good for me, boys. It was um, it was a rookie draft, so yeah. what, hap- what happened back then was a long time ago now, but they, the national draft would happen uh, late November, and then the rookie draft would happen pretty much just before Christmas. So it was a three-week wait until, you know, when you miss out on the national draft and um, have to go back to the drawing board uh, about what it looks like for you, so... Took a while to, um, you know, that three weeks was a long three weeks. But eventually, you know, the morning of the, the rookie draft, it was a Tuesday morning. I went to the gym. Um, the guy that was managing me at the time and managing me through my career, Marty Pass, rang me in the morning and said, This is going to happen. Um, you're going to get picked up by Freo. And I was training at Essendon. So I was like, Okay, that's pretty exciting. Like, I couldn't have cared less where I went to get the opportunity. And um, yeah, my mum was there, which made it kind of even, even more special. Um, to have someone that was, yeah, so connected in, in obviously in a lot of being a mum, but um, they ride the highs and the lows with your parents, and um, to just share that with her will forever be an incredibly special moment. Yeah, so you didn't care where you went, because I know Nat Fife absolutely hated Fremantle, he was a, a Richmond fan, so you just, I guess, grateful for the opportunity, didn't care what club you ended up, ended up at? Yeah, I couldn't, no, I couldn't care less, it was, um, I, I remember my, a mate of mine, um, who I was living with at the time, Angus Graham, who was playing at Richmond, and he rang me, he'd heard where I went, and he goes, oh, feel for you, mate, like you've wanted to get drafted for so long, and you're going to have to go over to Perth, to Fremantle, and, and I was more excited than anything, it's kind of like a fresh start, you kind of, you go over and, you, you not that I had much baggage or anything, but you, you go over with, um, no one knows who you are, or, or what you've done, or, you know, that, they wouldn't have heard much about the VFL, or watched any of it, so, there was none of those perceptions that probably can get attached with you pretty quickly, like the, the speed and skill and whatnot. They found out pretty quick, quickly I couldn't kick because um, I think the first training session I trained uh, with Cav in the warm-up kick, so he grabs like, the first first training player to make sure he makes you feel welcome. In hindsight, I just probably let him know that it actually makes you feel a bit uh, nervous, incredibly nervous and anxious, so couldn't hit a target. It was windy. Uh, missed him a lot of times. I think he, he went on to say that Geez, this bloke's not going to last too long with, with the way he's hitting these today. But um, got to play a lot of footy with Tav and, uh, yeah, maintain a, a really strong relationship with him. So it was, it was a buzz, you know, that, just telling that story. So, gee whiz, you're going over um, to play AFL footy and you're going to play with people like John Lance, McFarlane, Pavlich, Mundy. Long term, you're going to play with, play with Fife and have a have a very strong friendship. It's, um, yeah, it's... Uh, on reflection, it's something you kind of don't think about too much at the time, but on reflection, it's, it's huge. After performing well in three pre-season games, you got the call-up to play round one 2010 against the Crows, where you amassed 33 possessions, two goals, which was the best debut since champion data was brought in, and it got the whole footy world talking. What do you remember from this day, and did you expect it to turn out how it did? It's hard to believe it's 10 years since then. Yeah, um, it does. I remember the, the day, like when... The, the game and um, I was just super excited to play probably a, a mixture of excitement nerves uh, certainly um, nerves but then once once I kind of got out there it was overwhelmingly calm and um, you know I felt felt comfortable pretty early on and I'm, I maintain this stance that for any AFL player that, that goes in um, the first game is I feel like one of the easiest in terms of the weight you're carrying isn't 
at all um, significant. You know, you're not too concerned about the structures and and what it is that you know, you're required to do. You, you're probably just going out not to make your main aim is not to make a make a fool of yourself individually. So as soon as I got that first possession, remember well, I think I handballed it to Jay Van Berlo, um, and then I was kind of away, and yeah, that calm kind of just swept over me, and um, yeah, the hards at the time who was the coach just implored us to enjoy it and, and play the way um, you know we've always known to do it because that's what that's, that's what in all has got you to that position yeah I feel like the first game or the second or third games would actually be harder because you've got more expectation yeah absolutely so one as I said the first game you go in you, you play you, you enjoy it it's, it's a buzz um, and then from there your first year like that, that, that my first year was just um Unbelievably um, exciting because you're doing something you love. Um, again, there's not. It, it's very new. It's very. It's raw. You kind of just implored to to play your natural way and um, to enjoy it as it goes. The expectation is is not too extensive, you know, from from others. Um, but then once you kind of develop into your career and, and make it make a make a living out of it. Um, yeah, the other the other aspects of it can can wear you down a little bit, and and, and can get inside your head at times, and, and impact probably the enjoyment level of it and, and the performance um, at, at certain times. I'm not to say that that's you know extremely prevalent, but um, it, de- it definitely uh, it definitely does occur. Yeah, so the impressive debut continued on. You were flying in your sixth game, winning your first Ross uh, Glendening medal. Uh, it all came crashing down though in the final minutes of round 14 clash against Port Adelaide where you horrifically broke your leg were there any harsh feelings towards Reese Palmer who is believe it or not a previous special guest of the show or do you both just acknowledge <laughs> it and, uh, as, a, a, as a freak accident no absolutely I mean Reese was um, you know you talk about the even I suppose what's to do at the moment what's really a hot topic is you know, the, the, the infiltration of general public into to players social media accounts and um, you know and the anxiety and, and I suppose the mental health that can come as a result of that to, for, for players that are just applying their trade and, and working on their craft and, and doing their job um, yeah that was that, that was the case for Reese. I mean I think he had a lot of negative uh, uh, negative annotations or negative attachments to, to what had happened but to his credit he was the first one to the hospital and, and continue to the hospital and, and always looking after anything I needed in those initial weeks especially when you know I wasn't very mobile so no I never he's a, he's a great man Reese, and he lives, it, lives his life the way he does carefree and um, you know with with as much enjoyment as, as he can you know he's had, he's had his moments and um, but at the same time I'm, I'm incredibly um, happy to call him a friend uh, and would never in a million years you know begrudge what happened because, yeah, you know, but it, it, it's, it's a game of football. I've, I've been injured a lot of times, um, it, and yeah, that that one was the most graphic and most significant. But it was by no means the most uh, most intentional or the most um, yeah the most uh, in any way avoidable. Yeah, so he's an all run good guy from what we've seen. It's amazing how things can quickly turn around. One minute, one minute you're getting hyped up to win the Brown though, and the next your season is over. How did you reflect on that first season? A mix of highs and lows. Uh, yeah, well, I, I get asked this a lot to be honest, boys. And the, the, the big, my um, overwhelming 
uh, I suppose, response to that. It was always that if it hadn't happened 12 months earlier, you know, it would have been a lot harder to, to manage and a lot, lot harder to, to cope with because, you know, even the support of, of full-time doctors, full-time physios, full-time sports science staff, it's, it's a full-time environment. You're going to get better and you're going to get better quickly. Whereas if it had happened 12 months earlier, um, yeah, it would have been, uh, probably curtains on, on an AFL dream and significantly out of pocket financially and, and, and all the rest of it. So glass half full. Um, not to say I didn't have my moments along the way um, that, that were really challenging and, and incredibly difficult, but overwhelmingly I was, I was fortunate to be in a position I was to, uh, and to have actually established an AFL career again if I had done it in the first minute of round one. Gee, we'd like it. What does my career look like? Because it did take me a while to, to, to get to somewhere near my best form um, again after, after recovering from that leg injury. Yeah, it was, that's a good point. Yeah, so you missed the first 12 rounds of the following season in 2011, and then you played two games in the Waffle before returning to AFL in round 13. Uh, how hard is it mentally to get through this period by yourself, and how long did it take you to re- regain strength in your leg? Yeah, so I, I, I said it probably took um, two years from when I broke it to when I felt uh, normal. I think it was about round 12 or 13, 2012, when... It was a wreck game against Richmond MCG, and that, I felt really good that day physically. And up until that point, every step I'd taken for pretty much two years, there was an ache or a soreness or, or a um, yeah, a real uncomfortableness around around the injury. And um, you know, not always where, where I'd broken it, but different different points of the leg. So you know, I had some some demons, I suppose, along the way, especially when I was back playing and not playing anywhere near my, my potential. And, and um, pulling up really sore that yeah it would never come never come good um, so the the period of two years you know incredibly indebted to um, you know uh, the, the physio staff at, at Frio and um, the sports science crew that, that we eventually got there um, because probably in my mindset it was like when it happened I was like right best case scenario is that I'll be back back in six months so that's the only scenario whereas now with a bit more life experience within the AFL it's um, yeah, have have really, uh, I suppose, conservative goals around what what to expect of, of the human body, and if it does come off a bit quicker, then perfect, so be it. Yeah, because the example I can think of is, like, is Dan Menzel, who we had on, like, he was just riddled with injuries, but luckily for you, it was just the, the, the main one, and it sort of didn't, I guess, take away your career or lead to, to more ones. Yeah. Certainly, no. It's um, it it it, it probably yeah curtailed me for two years, and um, then I did have some other other injuries along the way. But someone like Dan Menzel, that you, know, you can't, and Alex Johnson's other example, that the mental anguish associated with the same injury and the same what like it's happening to one person, and you, you never begrudge them for for just you know the why me approach because. If anyone deserves it along the way, it's those, those guys that you know, continually have the same injury that um, have the potential and the capacity to play 250 AFL games. So from my point of view, I probably left 60 or 70 in the bag um, from a career just in terms of injuries. Uh, but at the same time, it, you know, it is what it is, and 141 is something I'm very, very proud of. 
Yeah, as you should be. Uh, Ross Lyon took over in 2012 and you made a semi-final. And then moving into 2013, you finished third and, and crept up on some people. Before we get to the grand final, what are your memories from that year and then the qualifying final win in Geelong by 15 points, which mm. no one did at that venue? Yeah, no, that year was um, yeah, special. That was probably the most special of... Well, my whole experience at Pro was just unbelievable. Um, and even even the, the year I, I I finished up and, and had my bags packed for me, it was it was so much good about the place and the friendships and um, and you know, the affinity I had with, with Perth that yeah, you know, I'll I'll always hold out um, you know, some high, well, the opportunity or the possibility that I'll, that I'll end up back over there in terms of in some sort of capacity. So that kind of gives you a, a guide as to you know, my fourth year in was that 2013 year and Ross was kind of starting to develop um, a group that had been together for some time and we hadn't really put it together apart from the last part of 2012. Um, but yeah, having Ross had, had been there then for 12 to, to 18 months that we became comfortable with the plan, um, became comfortable with our positions in the team and um, you know, the competitive uh, well, the competition for spots was was enormous. There was a young kind of Lockie Neal and Tom Sheridan and Hayden Crosby, those kind of guys were the, were the ones coming through, pushing from below. Um, that that made the, the place really healthy. And um, yeah, I don't think there was much expectation externally from from anyone, and we just kind of kept our heads down and and no one was ever really considering us a a chance. Obviously, we fell short at the end, but um, we always had that internal belief that. Something special was possible, um, yeah, and it just just fell short, unfortunately. Yeah, and you weren't really known as a goal, a, ma- a massive goal kicker, but the, I remember that banana at uh, Subi with um, in the, the preliminary final with the uh, the crowd going off. I think they had the Mexican wave going, and I think that was just the the sealer to get the club to the first grand final. Yeah, and that was a uh, memorable fortnight um, for what was it month? I suppose from the from the from the finals point of view like that first game down in Geelong it it, it will forever probably hold a significant part in my, my heart just the way it was coached by Ross and there was a mentality of us against you know the whole of the AFL essentially but it's a very hostile place to play Geelong um, and to get that result and I, just, I still remember the game and I could still kind of smell the grass and the feel the, feel the touch of the ball of that day um, just in terms of how it was a brutal game. It was neither side really give an inch. It was just going to be an ounce of luck um, and just the team that was willing to kind of go harder for longer. And that was kind of Ross's mentality for, for a lot of his career as, as our coach. And um, yeah, pretty pretty exciting. The Stephen Hill goal was that was the luck I'd say, but at the same time, um, you know, you got to dare to win to, to have a bit of luck like that. And, um, Pretty pretty special moment, and then we moved on to a prelim, which we never looked like losing. And um, you know, I had a had a fair game that night, and probably highlighted by that goal, which was the as I said, we didn't really ever feel like we were going to lose, but that was the moment for, for me that it was just like, gee whiz, this is this is on onwards the big the big show, and um, going to give ourselves a big big ride here. And um, unfortunately, yeah, it wasn't wasn't to be, but an experience. Will, um, yeah, for me, forever be, forever be uh, very significant because it's a bit like boarding school. 
that that group that I spent my boarding school mates. Um, and then, you know, I've got a group of mates that that kind of period between 2012 and, and 2016 at Freo, but we highlighted that 2013 group. It was, um, yeah, oh, it was, yeah, they're lifelong connections and friends and, um, and people I'm, I'm proud to have kind of put the jumper on with. Yeah, and the the whole town was was painted in purple. You must have felt um, like you got a lot of support heading over to Melbourne. We did, yeah. I mean, I remember. I think I walked through the, the airport with Lockie Neal, and it was a period where he was kind of going through the phase of, of being linked to, to Harry Styles from One Direction. So he was, um, you know, getting all the attention from from the young supporters and, and whatnot. But it really did feel like we were from a rock band um, or a, yeah, a famous. A famous pop 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 band, which was pretty cool. Um, again, a lot, a lot of people ask, you know, does it does it overrule you, or does it does it, did it become too big for us at the time? And, and there's no real way to answer that, but to, to acknowledge that, um, you know, it was what it was. Like it was the, the parade huge, the and we were really encouraged to kind of get involved in the week and enjoy the week. So there's nothing much that I would change, um, if anything, really. And, it was just on the day Hawthorne were 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 ready. Um, well, not to say that we weren't ready, but they they suffocated us from the ball for the first fifteen minutes, and, and I, I suppose took the crowd out of it because I think in in general it felt like the crowd and, and the wave of support was for us, and they took that out. And um, you know, from there we, we we played catch up and and got close, but not close enough. Yeah, so you're a key part in that midfield uh, that season. Finishing sixth in the Doig medal. But yeah, you've obviously just touched on it. Obviously falling short in the grand final against the Hawks. And you've also briefly touched on it. But describe like the week, the emotions after the game. Uh, because even though it was a slow start, you guys uh, turned things around in that third quarter. Yeah, certainly. Like it's, um, it's a week. Yeah, it, it goes really quickly from the moment you, you, you beat, beat Sydney that um, next minute you're on the plane. Going over that, there's not there wasn't much kind of. I think Michael Johnson might have been a bit sore. That was about the only uh, injury concern we had. So there wasn't too much um, external noise about what was going to go on. Um, and then, you know, the, the most significant moment was I think running out for the warm up, which you did about an hour before the game, and you know the MCG was packed. Was there seventy thousand there with you know another thirty thousand on the way, whereas. Usually when you play at the MCG for Fremantle against Melbourne on a Sunday afternoon in, in the middle of June, you'd run out for that initial warm-up and you, you know, there'd be 5,000 people there in 100,000 maximum stadium. 5,000 is very, very scarce. So it was um, an eye-opening moment and the moment we, we kind of adapted ourselves and, and looked into and, and from there it was, it was business time. And um, Yeah, I think I alluded to it. The first 15 minutes we were suffocating the ball and... Um, just couldn't get that press and pressure on the Hawthorne ball carriers like, like we were able to. We were sitting the week before and had our moments in the third quarter to get really, really close and a bit like the qualifying final, a little bit of luck went Hawthorne's way. Um, and then from there, it was, um, yeah, too little too late. But, um, yeah, it's, I've never, I don't lose sleep over not winning an AFL grand final, but it's very proud to have given myself the opportunity to, uh, to play one. Yeah, and Freo have never really had any, I suppose, trouble against any teams, apart from Hawthorne. The six-year drought got beaten on on Monday night, but um, it must have been annoying that 
you know, the Hawks always seem to beat you. Yeah, I, I, I was shocked by that stat, actually. That 2014, I actually played the game and um, broke my thumb in the game, I think. So, broke my thumb, but we, but we won. Uh, that was the only time for a long time I felt like we uh, really got a hold of Hawthorne, even from my first couple of years. We beat Hawthorne in an elimination final, which I wasn't playing in my first year, but um, from there, it was just Hawthorne always tended to have the, the wooden Collingwood to an extent as well with the teams that, that beat up on us a bit. So, um, yeah, it was pleasing to watch uh, Freo get the result on Monday night. And, um, you know, in, in terms of the way the club's going, it's obviously a completely different club from 2014 to 2020. So there's nothing essentially in it apart from, um, you know, I think the, the fact that Justin Longmuir is making some really, really big gains and big strides in, in a culture and a game plan that looks sustainable. Indeed. So the next two years from 2013, you went out in straight sets but made the top four and were minor premiers losing a preliminary final to Hawthorne. Do you look back at this time and view it as successful, although you didn't ac- accomplish the ultimate that you were striving for? Mm. Yeah, it was, uh, like I said before, it was a special period. It was a period where, um, you know, do I walk away from the game uh, bitter and twisted? I didn't win a premiership in that period, um, but have you know, lifelong friends and connections and, and the ability, I, I suppose, um, from my point of view, having lived through that successful period and, um, you know, it shaped me as a person, but it also um, took me took me to some really good places, took me to some dark places, you know, on personal levels and professional levels. But from my point of view, it'll, it'll only hold me in really, really good stead as a person going forward. Um, so that's, I think, I think the most significant parts of those periods are not to, not to dwell and be, def- be defined by... Um, you know the ups and the downs and the and the the ticks and the crosses. It's you know you come out of the AFL system a very very young member of society. So those periods um, always look back on fondly, learn a lot of lessons along the way. But ultimately, will the success of that period in my life will will be ongoing um, right until I'm um, dead and buried. I'd imagine. Yeah, so you had the great privilege of being Nat Fife's Brownlow date when he won mm. his first Charlie. Uh, how good was that to celebrate? And then obviously, you uh, broke the stick uh, when they were reading out the round twenty-three votes. When yeah, the vote, I, did. I believe. I did. I think I got my. Uh, well, maybe it might have been my first vote. The game it was a game where we didn't tank. I won't use that word, but we rested a few players heading into the finals, and I actually got the captain that game, round 23, so it was a bit all about me, that round 23. Hey, me, me. Uh, we got smacked by Port Adelaide, got, got the one vote, all good, uh, but Fifey won the, won the brown line, so yeah, it was a good night, um, yeah, uh, proud to call him a, him a friend, someone that, um, you know, he, he's as sound and um, kind of round, uh, well-rounded person in the game, um, you know, that's, and that's speaking of of players that are already out for two or three years that are now well established in, in media and other careers. Nat Fife is you know, right on par and, and if not elevated from them. So to go along with him that night was, was bloody cool. Um, my career went a bit south afterwards, but um, yeah, to share a moment like that with Nate was uh, was good. First Brownlow winner in Fremantle history and, and now he has both of them. So um, yeah. good for him. About time he started sharing it around. And <laughs> I reckon he's got one more in him. Um, one more Brownlow, maybe two. Yeah, one more Brownlow. Yeah, uh, maybe two. He's a, he's a bloody good player. Um, 
And yeah, he know, he knows when to stand up. So I reckon that even the back end of this year, watch mm-hmm. out. Yeah, he's he's still 28, so here's every chance. But things quickly escalated in 2016, and you were zero and ten, and had a shoulder problem problem yourself. Did you sense your chapter at Freo was coming to a close, and did you expect to be given a lifeline by the Suns? Um, no, I knew yeah pretty quickly. I, I think in that year when when it all went um, real pear shaped, that it was it was game over for me. You know, I was out of contract, and and Ross had just signed a four year contract. Deal and yeah, rightly or wrongly, I think um, if that's the way the AFL is. It's it's a direction that and it's happening right now at, at clubs like Adelaide, and probably more uh, more recently like North Melbourne. That the coach is new. Um, well, the coach has got got some security and and there's there's time to develop and and, and pave out a new pathway. So at the time, it's hard to cop. Um, and I was still playing uh, really good footy that middle part of that year. I came back as a tagger and. Um, played probably the best <laughs> patch of footy I'd, I'd played ever, um, but always knew that that it was going to be curtains um, at the end of that year because you know, circumstantially I was 28 and there, there was a different directive to go. But did my shoulder in that game against Geelong, um, and it was a, as bad an injury as I, I had. It was right on on par with kind of the, the broken leg um, in terms of the significant aspect of it so I don't want to do things in hard this this injury you had nerve complications and there was there was concern that I might not be able to move my arm um, fully for two years so in terms of being an AFL footballer it's a bit of um, bit of a mortality check but I think eventually the clock the longer and longer it went towards like the delisted free agency period the sun showed some interest my shoulder was getting better and um, yeah I got the opportunity to go over which which was you know another story in itself and a really um great period I loved it um, didn't work out in terms of again another injury a new coach comes in and it's all over but again their experiences um, there's, there's people you meet along the way every time you go somewhere or do something um, you know you never can regret a decision or begrudge a decision because people are going to come into your life that will mould you and, um, and and be involved for a long long time for the better so you won multiple Ross Glendening medals in derbies. We know you're Victorian, so but what did you enjoy most about the derbies and the rivalry against the Eagles as you did uh, have majority of the wins against them during your time? Mm. It hasn't been happening that way for a while. I think we've lost 10 in a row now. Yeah. So they're the new Hawthorne that we can't get a, get, <laughs> get a hold of um, at the moment. But no, I, I, they're pretty special derbies, especially early in your career. Um, I mentioned... That game at Geelong, that just I can still feel the feel the glass and the, the air and the, and the pretty a little bit from that day. There's certain derbies that are, that are like that that you, you remember feelings and, and moments and um, you know both good and bad. I remember probably in that last year, 2016, we got subbed out of a derby. I remember that. Um, 2016, we got smacked by. Uh, Obviously, West Coast, and Nick Nat knew he was playing Ruck. Our Ruckman went down, so I had to Ruck against Nick Nat. That wasn't fun. Um, but, you know, in the early patches of my career, um, you know, we had some, some good success uh, against them. And, you know, in terms of the medals and whatnot, it doesn't... Uh, I got very, very lucky, and I, I'm not usually one to kind of acknowledge that if I don't think it's true. I got very, very lucky in a couple of those games to get awarded it um, ahead of some others that were in my opinion, um, 
far more influential on the day. Heading heading over to the Gold Coast, how differently did things work? And even though you did your fibula, you contributed in your fifteen games. Is there anything you saw from then of the group with the group that you think is why they've improved so much now? Yeah, I, I, I think um, whilst well, they've always had a had a knack of starting seasons. Well, I mean, even I think this year they're, they're now four and four and six, maybe four and five, but the. That, that's off the back of a bit of talent and a bit of um, a bit of hype around the preseason. And, and the longer the season's gone, they've, they've struggled a bit. And in my preseason, there, I was. This is to my point when I first got there. I was like, "This, this isn't as good. A, I've never had this much um, skill and talent within a squad that I've played with. But how to tap that talent and how to uh, maximise that talent and potential was the issue um, and sustain it. So, sure, Jude's doing you know, a good job of it. Um, now and, and there's probably enough continuity there from a list point of view that um, they're starting to get there to be together for long enough and starting to find their own way um, the, the issue I think my last couple of years there was um, the, the new direction wasn't going to involve these, these players that had been there for eight, seven or eight years that had been there since the start that were demand that right, rightfully so demanding good salaries and, and engaging interest elsewhere. Um, how how much could they um, afford to kind of invest in in those guys rather than invest in the new crop that was coming through and and have a plan beyond the, the three or four years that the guys I mentioned would continue to um, be at that level. So juggling act on the Gold Coast, hard place. I must admit, a really hard place to kind of maximise sporting talent and sporting. Franchises, which has been evident, but um, you know the Suns will make it work, and I think we're starting to see that that will that will come sooner rather than later. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So earlier in the year, uh, you and a, a couple of others actually in the what, footy industry made the big call that Fremantle would be wooden spooners this year. <laughs> do, you, do you still stand by this, and how have you tracked well, so far? Well, now it's going to be hard. <laughs> didn't realise that Adelaide were going to be. Um, where they were going to be. No, I did. And I think it's always important. You guys being in the media, you know, and I'm aware of this. I, I have some media roles and uh, maintain a strong connection with the media. Um, but, you know, the clickbait will come. And I, that was my big call that Freo would, you know, they could be potentially one of these five or six teams that were going to be down the bottom. And I said that because I think it has, it definitely has run true, the only outlier has been Adelaide. So my, my observation was that there's probably a group of teams, Adelaide included Sydney, um, Gold Coast, Frio, um, and you know, North Melbourne, that they're, they're going to be fighting it out. Frio was a part of that discussion. I suppose what made it topical was, you know, I'm a former Fremantle player, um, Fremantle supporter, I've got to validate that. Um, but at the moment, whilst we're only a game out of the eight, we are still only a game ahead of second last. So that's the nature of the season. The, the statement I made will always be that, yes, they won't finish the wooden spooners, but now I'm, I'm very, very bullish and, and confident that, they're not, that they are going to separate themselves from those other teams that I mentioned, um, you know, in that, that lower-tier discussion, especially on recent form. Yeah, and it was just an opinion as well. I'm a Freo supporter, and we've got Carlton and Sydney, so I think we could go 6-6. Six and six. No, never look at the draw and say that because yeah. when that happens, it, it comes back to bite you. So, especially with a team like Freo, I think it's 
um, we've got to be a team that that ensures that there's no level of um, complacency regardless of opponent. Um, because you know, a player like Caleb Sarong who's going tremendously, how high, how much can we keep him up for for the period? The way you, you maximise and, and look to do that is is by you know every game is is you've got to bet you can't be two to three percent off, or else it will catch up with you pretty quickly. Yeah, I'm a Sarong fan. I think they do need to re-sign him. But appearances on Dylan Friends, we're seeing you love that merch on your Instagram. Uh, you went on Xavier Ellis's Time for a Beer. You do commentary and have hosted Channel 9's Footy SA slash WA. Have you always liked doing media? And secondly, what did you get up to in isolation? Because you were involved in that lockdown league, weren't you, that Tommy Sheridan has run? Yeah, I am. Uh, so I've still got a connection with, with the media game. So what I'm doing at the moment is... Um yeah, I work for an academy, a footy academy over here in Melbourne, um, named the and Black Academy, so a famous West Australian name. Um, so I run that out of Albert Park, um, you know, their footy program and their education program, um, but still with aspirations and connections in the media. This year's been a challenging one. You know, the, the Footy WA show that Scotty Waters and I headed up last year and, and into this year um, was a great, a great opportunity. Unfortunately, you know, COVID has trying to put, put the aspects through that for the moment. Um, do a fair bit of stuff at SDN over here. I've done some stuff with 6PR. My kind of next um, foray with with the media for, for mine, you know, I've done a lot of special comments on games and whatnot, but I'm really invested and passionate about the play-by-play side of things. So um, in isolation, funnily enough, that's what I've been doing, putting the footy game on mute. Girlfriend hasn't been overly happy with me when it's on mute and I'm recording myself commentating the game play-by-play. But, um, yeah, it's something that you, you've got you've to got to try, you got to you got to practice, um, you got to muck it up a fair bit before before you get better. I did one game, I did Adelaide and West Coast for 6PR uh, 2018, which was, um, and I don't say this right, that was that was a as significant highlight in my career. That you know some of the some of the some of the games and some of the big moments that I was involved in as a player. So um, that's kind of the next aspiration for me, boys. And um, yeah, if, if, it, if it comes off, good. If not, we'll, uh, we'll keep trying other stuff. Yeah, nice. And uh, Kane Corns has stolen your spot on Footy SA/WA. What's going on there? Well, that's just due to again the coronavirus came along, and Footy WA um, was uh, was merged with Footy SA. So it was more Scott Waters that they went with in, in, over me. So um, you know, right there, wrongly, fellas. And I've got a good connection with Scotty. So um, hopefully, we'll be back on next year. Um, just mm. in you know, giving Footy WA the full. The full run of it. Yeah, I stay up to about 12am watching it, so it is a good show. Yeah, hopefully we get on a bit earlier yeah. uh, next year. <laughs> Prime time. Yeah. Uh, you were playing You were playing as an assistant coach uh, back at Werribee in 2019. Do you think that will continue for you and you can tell us about some of the coaching you do on the side and what your goals are for the future in that uh, department? Yeah. Yeah, so as I said, I've got a connection with the media media aspirations but at the same time it's very fit. it can be a very competitive business so coaching is another thing that I've become you know more and more aspirational about as I've gone so I've played and coached at Werribee the last well last last year I did and then intended to do the same this year but at the moment I'm just deciding you know the next move whether it's to, to try and coach my own coach my own team you know whether it's in a suburban league or an amateur league whatever it is um that, that's probably the next progression in my coaching um, to, to get, you know, cut my teeth at that and, and see where all that sits and um, see if I enjoy it because 
it was one of those things when I finished AFL footy that I didn't have any aspirations to do was to, to coach. So now I do. Um, what level, I'm not sure. Whether it is at state league level um, as, as my peak, that might be it. And, and continue to live a really fulfilled life doing the other stuff, you know, the media and um, you know, the, running the academy and, and being involved in young students' lives in terms of the academic side. That's, that's kind of where I'm at at the moment. Pretty happy. Life's good. As I said, first, probably never out of the question in terms of coming back. It'd have to be something um, you know, ready to go in, in, in terms of media or, or coaching or, or whatever it is. But um, that's why I'm enjoying the life so much at the moment. There's a lot of variety, a lot of variety in it. Yeah, uh, and you're with one-on-one coaching, aren't you? Because one of our other members, Noah, he's not here today, unfortunately, but he was, I'm not sure if you remember, but he came from Perth to Melbourne came last over. year. Yeah. Um, when Nat Fife on the Brownlow did a coaching session with you. Yes, he did. No, we ran a, we ran a um, masterclass day with Nat Fife, and yeah, it went really, really well, actually. And, and Fife, he, um, again, you know, gave up his time. He was a Brownlow medalist the two days before, so he was in a sling. There's a bit about him, but yeah, Noah came over, um, flew in, flew out in the day. Um, On his birthday. Yeah, pretty pretty special commitment, so do a bit of that. Again, at the moment with stage four lockdown, there's not much we're doing um, in that space, but it's it's uh, a really good space. Andrew Raines, who runs the Queensland, or the, the Allies program in the under-18s, um, and, and works with the Gold Coast Academy, um, you know, started that up, and I think you might have about 60 or 70 coaches, kind of male and female, around Australia at the moment. Mm. Um, anyone listening that has kids that are keen in, in WA, you know, there's good coaches over there like Ash McGrath, um, Brady Gray, um, you know, former AFL players that, that are doing one-on-one specialised coaching um, and available out of Perth. Yeah, it's great, and I know Noah loved it. Uh, we do have some Q and A's from fans and voice me- messages, which we'll play out loud. And um, we'll start off with the written one. Written ones, though. This one's from Freo underscore Hub. Is there any particular moment on the field during your career that you occasionally joke at or tell tell people at the bar? At the bar, don't go to the bar, boys. Um, uh, <laughs> you know, I like to stay away from those joints. But that can't go to a bar in Melbourne at the moment because um, they're bloody closed. But I get a bit of legs and a bit of leverage out of a game we played in Geelong, I think it was 2015, and um, I, I drank the, the, the water out of the drink bottle the long way, so that was a bit of humour that I um, supplied along the way unintentionally, but um, yeah, that's that's one that I continually laugh at, and the academy kids at the Simon Black Academy are, are very, um, very uh, upfront with, with the fact that I did that and make it their wallpaper and all of that type of rubbish on, on Zoom. Yep, next question from Reese Stims28. Is it true you're the governor of the Goulburn Valley? Yes, he is the governor of the Goulburn Valley, so that's, uh, that's what uh, Bill Buckley on the podcast. <laughs> the governor of the Goulburn Valley is referring to the Goulburn Valley where I grew up in Shepparton. So uh, when I was younger, a couple of my mates just you know, gave that legs and how true it is, I'm not sure, but um, that's one of the many nicknames I, I carry. This one's from... GN Julio, I think, 93. What were the big changes as a player you saw when Ross Lyon took over from Mark Harvey and what changed so much in the off-season of 2015 to the start of 2016? 2015 to 2016. Ooh, double-headed question. Um, now, Harvey was probably more more open, open the um, responsibility up to players and and it was more of an offensive style. 
but for mine it was hard to um it's hard to 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 really judge halves and and what we got out of halves because I was so fresh to the system that whatever happened what was everything was new um whereas Ross obviously brought in a, a more defensive edge um and a really structured uh structured side of things behind the ball so they were they were the, the two differences 2015 and 2016 we probably identified that we need to score a couple more goals and, and with that came, you know, changing the way we move the ball. Um, so we chased chased a fair bit of a few games in terms of the offensive side of the ball from 2015 2016. It just um, probably didn't have the time to, or maybe the capacity as well, to, to execute it um, in that period. And yeah, we fell off the cliff. Yeah, and speaking of kicking more goals, um, what do you think of the current um, Frio set up in the forward line? Do you like Taberner there, or I think because Hogan Longmuir said he was going to play down back now? So yeah, no, I love Tab. Um, he's he's a great man, one of my um, very very good friends, Matt Taberner. I like uh, the way he goes about it, and he's a player that that will will play a really really big game very soon. I feel um, you know he's not far off, really taking taking the competition by storm. I think he's got his spot now in the front half, which gives him a fair bit of confidence. Um, and now it's just about putting it together consistently. And Hogan, I think, long-term will be forward. Um, but, you know, whilst whilst uh, there's a necessity down back, obviously, I think Justin Longmuir said that. Yeah, a really good opportunity to use him back. Next question's from Lockie Gray 9, good friend of the show. Uh, what is your greatest story of Ross the Boss and who is the greatest player you've ever played on? Greatest story? I've got a few of them. He, um, I'll, I'll keep it relatively short. He he um, gave me a nice spray one one game um, when I was naked and I'd given away a 50-meter penalty. I had my socks on, actually. I wasn't fully naked. But, um, yeah, he gave me a spray for giving away 50 meters and I just always remember just being fully fully naked. Um, and what was the next part of the question? Uh, greatest player you've you've ever played on? Played on. Uh, good question. A few. Uh, I got tagged by Brett Kirk one day, which was which was tough. Um, so he, he obviously wasn't the greatest talent, but in terms of playing on a player that just was good good at his craft, um, Brett Kirk was was pretty bloody good. And being on the same field as players like Gary Ablett and um, Chris Judd were probably the the standouts that you know front row tickets. Um, the wrong way though you know the front row t- front row tickets as they're putting on a clinic against your team is always hard to watch but um, again looking back on it pretty special moment yeah of course uh, second last Q&A before the two voice messages but Josh Gray 18 underscore goes hey Michael can you explain on the comments you and Zach Clark shared on Nat Fife's appreciation post for Lockie Neal when he left the West oh, gee whiz this is uh, Happened a while. Oh, it might have been Nat, Nat just, uh, Nat, you know, uh, essentially I think it would have been glorifying Lockie and, you know, the, the relationship they had. Um, but I don't think Fifey even follows Zach and I on Instagram for, for whatever reason. <laughs> no, that's if so, You're a brown low date that, and he doesn't follow you. Yeah, that might be it, but um, I think, yeah, I, no, um, it's all in good yeah. fun, all in good fun. Yeah, it was like a post on Instagram and, um, yeah, I've got it up here. Yeah, Ray's uh, got it up. Yeah, Zach said that, must have missed our posts when we got chopped uh, and tagged you, <laughs> uh, Matt DeBoer and Mazungu. And, yeah. Yeah. Well, they're, they're, I think, again, th- these are always things that 
you've got to acknowledge. I think 98 percent of people understand it's, it's tongue in cheek, and that yeah. <laughs> no ill harm yeah. um, intended. Some do, some think that it's yeah us being a bit precious, but at the same time, it's um, yeah we're, we're just we're just good mates having a bit of bit of banter. Yeah, Nate doing Nate Nate things, but it's a bit stiff. That's it. Follow you, considering you're verified, got the blue tick. Yeah, a bit stiff, but um, you know, I don't think I follow him at the moment. Maybe I have. <laughs> Hello. We we go in and out of um, love. It's a lot of hate. hate <laughs> All right. Last question we've got here from Frio Picks. You loved your tight, well knitted small jerseys on the field. Are you still keeping that trend off the field? <laughs> off the field, no. I wear the baggy clothes. I like baggy clothes that, that cover. Because um, I'm kind of a bit skinny, um, but I've also got like the, the the butt that comes up to the lower back. So so it's an odd odd shaped uh, body. Um, that when I'm not on the footy field, I, I wear you know, loose fitting clothes. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, so we have got some voice messages. Yeah, Sounds like new. Yep. So Bray, he's gonna so hopefully he can hear it. Just yeah. let us know if you can't. But first one from Tom Donald. G'day lads. Uh, hope we're all doing well. Um, bit of a question for Mick here. Just wondering who was the best teammate to play with at the club and why. Freo, mm. I think, yeah. Yeah, very good. Uh, I've always said Luke McFarlane is, is one of the... Again, Pavlich and Fife are, are the easy answers there, but Luke McFarlane's underestimating what, what he could do. Um, as a defender, like he, he was as good at his position as Fife and, and Pav, Pav were in there. So, um, played with some good ones, and obviously Fife and Pav are in that discussion. Um, but that, I've always got to throw out a, a shout-out to my pharmacist friend uh, living in Broome. Uh, Luke McFarlane. Yep. Here we go. Next one from Dan Parks. What's your favourite stadium to play at in the country? Favourite stadium. Great question. Uh, I loved Subiaco. Um, loved it. And but then, obviously, that's bloody rubble now. Geelong. Oh, I loved playing at Geelong cause, probably because we had great memories there. And um, uh, Yeah, so that, oh, I love playing at Geelong for the fact that, that the memories there were significant. Never got the chance to play at the stadium, um, but yeah, Subiaco, I, I can't go past because again, the memories. Um, unfortunately, it's no longer, but uh, yeah, I'll be I'll be very very uh, thankful for for all the games I played there in front of that crowd. Yeah, and just on uh, your favourite ground at Geelong uh, with the WA teams because Subiaco was pretty narrow, like uh, Geelong is. Did that guy? Did that suit you guys much? Yeah, I think so. And also, we're well prepared whenever we went there under Ross. Like, it's unbelievable. The preparation he puts into it, um, you'll notice whenever you watch teams play there, they kick it out in the full lot and, and you just weren't uh, willing to do it when Ross was playing. Um, so, because he, he prepared you for it. So, um, yeah, no, it, I felt like, yeah, it was a ground that we could adapt to. Um, unfortunately, well, the last game was there as well, actually, for the Sun. Um, we got beaten by 102 points, so I don't think we were as prepared going into that one. But um, all good, lovely place to play. Um, and yeah, but Subiaco, again, I think when we, we were so accustomed to it and it was skinny, you just felt comfortable and obviously at home out there playing and um, yeah, good place to play. And final one from me, Mick. Uh, we're always looking to get some more people on the show, looking for upcoming guests. Is there anyone you would recommend us to get on or maybe even help? We got each other's contacts, so... Um, yeah, no worries. Who, who, um, 
Well, throw me some names, and mm. they're on the hit list, and I'll say if it's achievable or not. Yeah, well, anyone would be happy with, but um, Dil, Dil Buckley would definitely be up there. Yeah, we're, we're yeah he's a chance. He, he's, a, he's a chance. We'll, we'll, I'll throw you through his, his details. He'll be happy to, happy to talk. Yeah. Um, that's, uh, what else? Just to call off guard, to be fair. Any, uh, any, any Sons, Dockers, players? Cleo, get that tavern on. He's, he's funny. Funny, good drive. Uh, Chris Lowe's good value. He's, he's mm. very funny. Yeah. Um, sometimes these AFL players, it's like an out of the system, have to hit their cards across their chest. But, um, yeah, any, any help you need, go out and I'll, I'll try my best. Yeah, well, Mick, that's all we got uh, for you today. We're going to let you go, but before that, we're internally grateful for you coming on. Good luck with everything that comes your way, and hopefully, everything can get back to normal over there sooner rather than later. Sounds yeah, good, boys. Thanks for. Um, Thanks for the opportunity and hope everything's going well over in WA and hopefully I can get over there soon and, uh, yeah, and experience the lifestyle for myself. Thanks, Cheers, thanks, mate. Mick. See ya. See ya, guys. Bye. That's it, guys. It was a real treat, so I hope you guys liked it too, Bray. It was funny, wasn't it? Yeah, great show. Uh, good fellow mix. Uh yeah, it was a pleasure. Yeah, hopefully you can pass some uh, good contacts through. Remember, at Centre Square Podcast on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube, as there's many good things to come from us at the Centre Square Podcast on 91.3 Sport FM, your football headquarters. Catch you later.